0: Says, get that India, big boy. Call
1: an ambulance. Maybe call a priest. Oh, what a shot!
2: What a shot! Campbell killer! Hello and welcome back to another edition of the tip sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, finally getting the uh, full recovery out of the old COVID. Uh, going and uh, joining me and flipping the roles this week is my good mate, 60s, who unfortunately has a uh, battle, was going through the battle that I just had, and has got the old uh, scratchy throat going, mate. How are you holding up?
0: Mate, I'm not doing too bad, really, when um, we, we know that it can be a, a tough bout for a lot of people, so I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to what is an absolute blast of football over the Easter weekend. Five days we of those- Five days, five beautiful days of rugby league, and it is also a big weekend for a couple of Eels junior rep teams, which will, uh, which we'll touch on to during this. Uh, yeah, preview. Very,
2: very excited to do those previews, uh, but let's get the show started. All right, 60s. Let's kick the show off by going behind the mic with Spiro Christopoulos. He's uh, on location once again, and he's going to give us all the good, uh, all the good word, all the good news from the NRL this week, as he always does. How you doing, Spiro?
1: Good guys. Nice to chat again. And I think a bit of a, a role reversal this week. So <laughs> 60's, yeah, 60s has the uh, the big COVID-19 and um, John's recovered. So it's a bit of a, a switcheroo.
2: Yeah, I let 60s dictate all the conversation last week and I'll let him take the, uh, the secondary seat this week. He uh, doesn't want to have to burst out into a splutter of coughs it uh, wouldn't be nah, fair. It wouldn't, sure. <laughs> wouldn't be fair on him and
0: the recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh if I'm hanging in there. I'll, I'll
2: He's a soldier. He's a soldier. Just, he's just coming I'll off the go. he's coming off the bench this week.
1: That's, That's it. <laughs> I'll be the I'll be the impact. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. We need that. We need that That's every time
2: again. A perfect way to kick things off too, 60s, because speaking of impact, there's a couple of uh handsome, uh smart, uh, you know, well spoken, you know, the real the real. The great guys in the team just don't get enough praise they deserve. But I think, Spiro, you want to shine a spotlight on a couple of the big contributors to the Eels' success early on?
1: 100%, guys, especially last week in our win against the Titans. Our front rowers are carrying our team, in my opinion, on the way to their shoulders, and they're killing it. Um, Week to week, Junior Paulo and Regan Campbell-Gillard. RCG has totally resurrected his career. And Junior Paulo, ever since he's come back to the Eels, has been a star week in, week out. And just looking at their stats, I was actually working on this game with the continuous call team on 2GB with Chris Warren and Shane Flanagan, and I was doing all the stats, and it was just unbelievable. In that first half, I was monitoring really closely the stats of our front row compared to the Titans' front row, and I've got them here right in front of me, and I'd like to share them with all the listeners and with you guys today, because it's just phenomenal. So in the first half, Junior Paulo had 138 run meters from 11 runs, Regan Campbell-Gillard 133 run meters from 11 runs, right? Compare that to the Titans front row. Mo Fodawaka, 44 run meters from five runs, and Isaac Liu, 13 run meters from two runs. So you compare the two, they're planets apart, and that's what's really the difference, especially Junior in that ball-playing role. I love seeing him get the hands on the ball because he just has something special about him that not all front rowers have, which gives us that edge against other teams, especially when you come up against a Titans outfit that don't have that barnstorming front row. Even, you know, to be fair, right, their star man, David Fafita, let's look at his stats um, for majority of the first half. He had 15 run meters from two runs and eight tackles. So he's also planets apart. Their marquee man, they're paying a million dollars a year or um, somewhere around about that, and he's not really producing. So I think you got to give a rap to our two big boppers, uh, mm-hmm. RCG and Junior. They're killing it and, um, you know, they're, they're proving crucial to our team each and every week. And it, it actually adds
0: extra emphasis on when Parramatta were talking about their re- their strategy around uh, extending contracts and that priority signings
1: were both front rowers. Mm. Yeah, like You know, you, you talk about guys like Papali'i and Murata Niakore who are fantastic and do a great job as well, but it everything relies on your front row and how they perform and the rest of the team seem to go off the back of that and I think they've done that so far this year.
2: Yeah, we we certainly have a team that's also built to take advantage of our dominance in the front row. Obviously, Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown are fantastic playing off that front foot platform that Reg and Junes are giving the boys. Uh, Gufferson of his support play, uh, Reed Money of his creativity around the ruck too. So, you're right to point out, Spiro, that so much of our success, you know, is predicated on that platform created by those two outstanding front rowers, and they're doing such a tremendous job at the moment. On the flip side, though, if we're singling out praise for our front rowers, you've got to bone the pick with another uh, department.
1: Yeah, I just think our bench in general needs to sort of lift, and it's it's hard when you've got such a high standard in the front row, but when Junior and RCJ come off, you're noticing that we're leaking a few more points. Our defense weakens as well, and as good as our bench is, and I know we've had reshuffles in the last few weeks, Ryan Madison, can I just say quickly, he has been running and hitting those edges and hitting those holes so well the last mm-hmm. or last week. Really impressive with his game. Uh, but I just think generally our guys, especially Oregon, who's going to be starting this week in place of Junior Paulo. Those guys need to just uh, lift slightly because we're we're losing that edge when our two big boppers come off the field. Um, you know, usually in that second half, RCG played forty the full forty minutes in that first half last week, which was really impressive and got a lot of attention and praise from uh, the commentary team as well. But we need to look at our bench and how we're structuring it and also how we're using it effectively because it's always an issue. and we, We've spoken about this off-air in the past, guys, that BA has an interesting way of rotating his bench. He doesn't always use everyone that's on his bench. It also depends on how the game's going and how he feels. Um, he wants to play it and who he needs to use. But we need to really look at this and and focus on how can we improve or how can those guys on the bench um, provide that impact that we really need um, in these uh, crucial matches? Because in those second halves, as I said, when these guys come off, we're leaking points and we're letting other sides back into the game.
2: I've got a, I've but, got a bit of faith that the bench will come good. They've, they've kind of been the maybe not the, un, the forgotten, but maybe the unspoken victims of the injury crisis that's been uh, facilitated throughout the back line. Uh, We've had, obviously, a lot of wingers been going down this year. And and also, Sean Lane's been in and out of the lineup with a hamstring injury the last couple of weeks. And the bench has really had to pivot hard and fast around those different injuries. I mean, we saw against the Titans, we had uh, Madison go from back row to centre with Makahesi Makotoa playing on the edges uh, during that uh, window where Will Penasini was uh, in the HIA protocols. But yeah, Yeah. I I agree with you, Spiro, in the sense that I, I do want to see more from the bench. And I think that they will come good. Uh, getting Murata back in the long term, obviously in the short term, there's going to be some uh, complications because of that that troublesome backline again. But getting Murata back into the fold will be huge for the bench. But yeah, it, it's definitely that drop off from the starters to the bench has been it, it's too big right now, and I think you're you're bang on about that.
0: I think mm. as well you, you're looking at um, uh, our middle rotations involving the likes of uh, Mako and Oregon. Those those fellas, they're they're the workaholic middles. They're the they're the meter eaters, not so much the the impact. And and where Reg and Junior fit in is that they're not only clocking up the meters, they're they're bringing the impact right from the start. So our impact isn't coming from the bench; our impact is coming from the start. Now that explains, I think, a lot to do with the the amount of minutes that BA is playing our starting players and the minutes that he's not giving to the players off the bench and and you mentioned there 40 Murata. and mirada playing coming in at center this week is a big difference to Murata being part of the middle rotation Murata is part of the middle rotation he he's far different as a as a player to to uh macca and to oregon and and this isn't a knock on macca and oregon because you want blokes who are who are going to be just the workaholics as well, but Murata brings that impact, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. That he brings the fear factor yeah, he's the when he comes on, yeah. and yeah. Uh, so when he's part of that middle rotation, and I know there's people who prefer him as an edge player, but when he brings part of that, he's part of that middle rotation. He brings the impact, he brings the fear, and I think that brings a different dimension to the bench. But while we're having this injury crisis how long is he going to remain part of the, the positional changes out there in the, in the back line? So um, interesting to see what the next few weeks have in store.
2: Well, it's probably a good good way to tee off some predictions for what is in store with Murata Spiro, what do you see from him both from Easter Monday and then beyond?
1: Well, uh, going back to last week, and I like to pride myself on these little things, the little wins, uh, and we're going to play a little bit of audio in just a moment from last week's pod where I said that my Smoky was that Murata was going to come back into the side in the back line, in the centres, and that happened this week. So I'm a bit proud of myself with that, that I got that prediction spot on. But I think he's going to be fantastic and slot in really nicely. But uh, just for now, take a listen to this little bit of audio from last week's pod. This is a bit of a wild one, guys. I think Murata slots in really nicely in the centres. I was impressed from what I saw last year when he played in the centres, and I think that we may see a little bit of a reshuffle possibly in parts of the back line. Maybe Bailey Simonson, I don't know if he's there or not. They might shift someone else out to the wing and um, and they might, I don't know what they're going to do, but they might slot Morata into the centres if they can't find a spot for him on the bench because that's where he plays really well. So there you have it. Last week, I picked it and it happened. But as I said, guys, I think he's going to provide some great impact and he'll, he'll really help Will Penasini shifting. Onto the wing, um, I haven't seen Will play any uh, time on the wing. I don't know if you guys have seen him in the junior grades playing there, but no doubt uh, that he will step up to the plate, won't let us down, and I think having Murata inside him will really help defensively, especially. So expect big things. And as you mentioned, the impact that Murata has on the center is in the back line. is very different to what we see when he comes off the bench or um, he comes in as a you know as a more of a middle player. But um, yeah, I think regardless, it's, he's a big in. We have really missed him. And we, I think we've all underestimated the value and the impact that he has on our team because we haven't seen him playing in quite a while. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Murata get back on the field and um, hopefully finish his time in the blue and gold with a premiership and it all kicks off. Easter Monday He's going to have a big one. I think from memory, I think he played in the centres on Easter Monday, maybe in 2019. Opening day, help me out here, guys. I, I'm not sure if that's true, but I think I've seen him play in the centers against the Tigers before, and he's played well. Can anyone remember? Well,
2: in in 2019 was when
1: uh, as Virgo was out that game. Yeah,
2: maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, let,
1: let's have a look. I, I I think yes, but um, let's just have a have a little look here. But yeah, regardless, I think he's going to have a big one on uh, on Monday. Looking forward to that clash. It's going to be a, a great one. And I think we can't take the two points for granted because we always know the Tigers, uh, they do show up. I know that that 2019 game, they um, they didn't show much promise and we smashed them. But you never know. With the pressure on the side at the moment, we might see um, an improved performance from the Tigers. And um, Luke Brooks obviously shifting to six and, and Hastings is the main playmaker. It'll be interesting to see. How that plays
2: out? He was definitely in the centres last year's Easter Monday game. So he's got last
1: year's Easter Monday. That yeah, must have been the one. Yeah. There.
2: So he's he's definitely got that under his belt. And um, obviously he had a couple of fantastic reps out at centres up against Justin Olam and whatnot earlier on in the seasons too. So yeah, really looking forward to what is going to bring to the team. Uh, yeah. Sixties. Yeah, Jen-
1: Jennings and Tacker were the centres in that. Jennings moment. and yeah. Tacker. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my memory failed me there, but um, yeah. Good try. Murata was, a, Murata was a starter in the back row. There you go. Fantastic. Now, uh, Thanks for your help there.
2: It, it wouldn't be a Parramatta win without some sort of, some form of drama or injury. And we of got course. both against the Titans, unfortunately, losing Wonga mm. Blake for an indefinite period due to a medial cruciate ligament in his knee. But the real talking point that came out of this game, this is the one that almost put a line down the media, was the Junior Paulo shot on AJ Brimson. Uh, it had ex-players saying it was a good hit. had talking heads saying that he should have got longer. Uh, AJ Brimson himself had an interesting outlook on this one too, given that he seemed to indicate that it was off the shoulder. How do you see this one, Spiro? Because, like I said, this one had people polarised.
1: Well, it had me polarised as well. And I listened to uh, the instant reaction uh, pod, and let's just say that 60 wasn't too happy. Uh, He had to (laughs) compose himself a little bit, especially at the start there. But, um, yeah, look, it, it gazumped me as well. I mean... It wasn't a shot to the head. I think AJ Brimson fell into the tackle as well, which doesn't help. But even post-match, um, I saw this uh, through the socials and, and through uh, my channels that AJ Brimson post-match told the media that it was actually his AC joint in his shoulder that hurt um, and that was was uh, affected. So he himself even acknowledged that it wasn't an illegal shot to the head and Based on what we saw from our vision, based on what the commentator said, it wasn't a shot to the head. If it was, then it probably warranted tending the bin and potentially, potentially a a, a one-week suspension. But for what it was, um, Junior surely and certainly didn't deserve to uh, be sent to the bin and nor did he deserve to cop a week. I thought that after they simbined him, I thought that would have been it and that would have been the end of it. But when I woke up on Sunday morning and saw that it was a the week, sheet, yeah. uh, pretty pathetic, you know, charge sheet. It was pretty pathetic and, and disappointing.
0: And, and like you I said, yeah. I don't know, Sparrow, I really don't know that there's been enough focus placed on the fact that the independent doctor for the uh, head injury assessment said that there was nothing to look at, and mm. that that has to be a um, from my perspective a a major factor in determining what's what sort of impact was made because if you've got everyone except for the match review committee and the uh, video ref saying that the the injury was to the, the the hit was to the shoulder there's no direct injury to the head but somehow the medicos are Somehow the medicos have been ignored in this. Um, the evidence was there plain to see that it was uh, if there was any contact with the head that it, it came about in a secondary nature and it wasn't a forceful impact to the head. Because if it was forceful, we would have had that HIA assessment. Mm. Um, I, I it, it's it's dumbfounding that something else has been seen in this, and you're right, I. I was having to restrain myself from (laughs) what I really wanted to say in the reaction podcast. Certainly I controlled the expletives because, uh, (laughs) well, I'd got them out of my system. uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly, exactly. But
2: for me, 260s, that is the big concern, to have that divide between the uh, officiating arm of the bunker who quickly enacted the forceful and direct contact to the head ruling and then the the medical branch of the bunker who – really have the, the most important authority when it comes to these matters because they're taking care of player welfare and they didn't see anything untoward for tackle. It was just strong shoulder-to-shoulder contact, secondary contact due to whiplash causing, you know, incidental shoulder-to-head contact. And the fact that Brimson himself made a very big deal about the shoulder injury, not, not just during the game but post-game too, not an attempt to dodge the HIA, but the fact that it banged up his AC joint – yeah, and the fact that it came through to a two-game suspension, one of the other guilty plea, which is really frustrating. I don't blame the Eels for not fighting because, given the uh the the temperament, the climate surrounding the match review committee and the judiciary after the Sofa Solomon debacle, you think you're on a hiding for nothing trying to fight that, perhaps.
0: And I think uh, given our track record and Junior's track record, yeah, he's he's had some in, nightmare in challenges. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like. We, we certainly remember Junior's nine-week suspension for the ragdoll-type tackle. The, uh, and one we probably one. saw Patrick Herbert do many examples and, of that in the one game. And that, that's the other thing that got fans
2: a- so frustrated is that the bunker could step in so swiftly and, uh, with you know vindication on Junior Paulo, and then they missed Patrick Herbert uh, throwing uh, or essentially suplexing uh, Tom Opachik at the end of the first half and then clobbering Tom again high in the in-goals. And that was with a, a dead ball restart. So there was a chance for the bunker to go through and do a clean review and they managed to miss it. So the the inconsistency of the, the bunker crew is driving a lot of fans wild. I think that's a big issue.
1: It's frustrating. The inconsistency, guys, and I, I think it's a, a broad issue, and we're going to get to that a little bit later on, speaking about a few other controversies in the NRL this week. But the consistency across the board, the inconsistency is frustrating. And the fact that, like you said, compared to that a surface solomona uh, shot, which that – to me, there was intent there. Whereas the junior polo one, there was no intent. So it's just it's not adding up. Uh, you know, it's it's very frustrating. And and if it was intentional, they would have probably sent him off. So yeah, it's it's just confusing. And and we're giving the independent doctor in the bunker so much responsibility to make a call on um, whether players can stay on the field or, or can't stay up, um, on the field. But then when it comes to their judgment or ruling on something like that then, you know, they're not valued and their opinion or their word isn't valued. So it's really unpredictable and and frustrating for fans and the media alike.
2: Well, in good news, mate, the, the Eels' backline has been the the model of inconsistency in terms of having guys at different spots on the wing, centres playing wing, whether it's Wong or now Will Penasini, but there's been one bloke that's been pretty consistent in his selection. He's been in the number one jersey throughout the entire first five rounds and he's really starting to find his feet this year, isn't he, mate?
1: big time. He's looking dangerous. And last week, what impressed me mainly was just his efforts. You know, he he saved a try early in that first half and then in the next set, he went on to score a try. So, that's just a prime example of what Gutho epitomizes. The effort, guts, determination, never going to give up. He, he just keeps on keeping on and, and he'll save tries, he'll score tries, he'll motivate the team, he'll pump the team up, he brings a unique energy to the side and you just can't replace that. And that's why you understand they re-signed him not just because of uh, what a star fullback is, it's because of his efforts and his grit, his determination and what mm-hmm. he brings to the team. And we actually, they spoke about it on the commentary on 2GB, Shane Flanagan and Chris Warren. They said, you know, would Parramatta prefer someone like James Tedesco or Tom Trovoevich that he's going to be the star of the show or someone like Gutho? And we all sort of agreed that Gutho every day of the week because he's consistent. You know what you're going to get every week from him. And he's not just going to be the one to score the the magical tries. He can do that. We know he can do that. We saw that on the weekend and we've seen it in the past. But his effort defensively is just immaculate. And I was super proud of him, super impressed. his toughness. He he hurt himself badly. He hurt his sternum oh, when he scored the that first try. Things. Yeah, when was, yeah. When the, he scored that try, there was a he, the, he,
2: the anchored knee yeah. underneath him. wasn't It wasn't malicious or anything like that. Not like the you know issues like the Jaden Campbell one back in round one. No, but the, the, no. there was an anchored knee underneath him trying to make the tackle, and he landed right in his solar plexus. And you could see that yeah. he he was absolutely smashed from it, but just battled through it. He is tough as nails, and, and that's what you
1: that's what you love
0: about him. And one of the interesting things then, because you were just bringing in other fullbacks, is that the conundrum for Parramatta and, and for Gutherson, and it's something that was probably found when he was on the open market, is that he doesn't attract the type of offers that your Tedesco's and Trubojevic's do attract because he's he's not uh, super fast. He's, he's not a player who will beat... Uh, a defender the way that those players might beat a defender, he wins matches in other ways for the Eels. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily attract offers from rival clubs because there are players who fit very well into particular club systems and what they provide for that club. So you might have clubs that will look at Gutherson and say, look, yeah, he'd be worthwhile, but we'd rate him as being worth this much on the on the uh player uh uh market. But and and this and it probably works against Gutherson and maybe it works a little bit in Parramatta's favor as well. It's hard to say. But you know, mm. his worth to Parramatta is probably heading up towards the million dollar mark. But For his sure. play, but his, but his player uh open his value in the open market is probably sits down around about the six hundred thousand dollar mark. And yet, and so Parramatta probably pays him a little bit above what he'd be worth on the open market, and yet it's still,
2: a reasonable in, in some sense,
0: we're still getting value out yeah. of that, even if we're play, paying him a little bit more than what he's worth on the open market. It's a, it's a really interesting situation around Gutherson, because I think he's one of those high value to a particular club type players, and yeah. where. Where the club is probably benefits. Um, well, I think both parties benefit because I think Gutho's getting the the best possible contract that he can get, and I think Parramatta are getting incredible value for the money that they pay Gutherson. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's like a a marriage that
1: has to keep happening for both parties. <laughs> yeah, I love the way you, you you put that. It's it's so true. The value he adds to our side no one will replace that and he's just such a special player and that's why I I really you know I worship Gutho I think he's just brilliant and so many facets of his game are unique and you don't get that in other fullbacks you don't like as good as Teddy is I think in terms of an all-rounder Gutho is a better player because he's so versatile his defense his efforts and his leadership he's a big communicator he loves a bit of talk and, and that's what you want you want that in a captain and you want that in a fullback, someone that really controls the team and, and um, barks the orders and marches the team around the park. So, and yeah, I'm really satisfied with what he's doing at the moment.
2: The, the other thing, too, is that with the rise of Dylan Brown in 2022, we're seeing a little bit of a paradigm shift with how Gufferson's been used. And he's probably – it's not entirely changed, but he, he now plays a little bit more like a traditional fullback in the sense that he can start backing up a little bit more, whereas in mm. earlier seasons we used him as that 5'8 felt wide – on those sweep plays really aggressively. And, and I think it's really helped his game uh, become balanced. And you talk about balance. If you go into that post-match press conference, him and Brad were completely Zen. That that was one of the, uh, you talk about polarizing experiences after such a torrid second half where there was so much drama and controversy and the Titans had all the ball. Brad and, and Gufferson were just completely chill in the post-match press conference. And I, I encourage fans mm. to go back and watch it because it shows you just how healthy the mindset is for both captain and coach.
1: So, so, I agree with that completely. So impressive to hear BA after the game as well. Not win your wine, and just say, look, we're going to enjoy every win. we got to just um, stay calm, be grateful for each win and each week. And as a fan as well, as good as, as good as it is to see them, yeah, win premierships and be at the top of the table, that's what we all want to see. Each win um, should be something that we enjoy and should be a celebration. And, and I think that BA sort of, um, you know, resembled that and, and, and spoke highly of that on uh, Saturday night after the game. And another interesting thing, to which says a lot about our culture and what the mood is like at Parra at the moment, was at halftime in the sheds. We get vision of each dressing room at halftime. We get the complete uninterrupted vision. Brad Arthur held that whole room in the palm of his hand. Every single one of the people in that room had their eyes on BA and didn't move them while he was talking. He just holds them there and... He leads the team so well, and even Gutho um, and Mitch Moses—they also kept moving. They're on the bike, you know. They're, they're they're there. They're moving. They're keeping the body warm, keeping the legs fresh, and they're also barking orders as well. So it it was really impressive to see, and and I was really satisfied. You look at other half times, you see heads down, and coaches take different approaches. But I'm really happy with, uh, with what we're seeing with Gutho and with BA, where our club's in. Good hands and, and the leadership of our club is also in really strong hands.
0: And that's a great insight to provide for us too, Spiro, because in the television coverage, we weren't getting those images. We were getting, I think, the later images after, this, after BA had addressed the group and uh, and you, you saw the Titans shed where they were still talking in a huddle. And when it came to the uh, Parramatta shed, BA was starting to move around and talk to players individually who were, you know... Yeah. All- or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, it's,
1: it's great that you're able to provide that for us there. For sure, for sure. Even Gutho, like you said, um, BA was speaking to players individually. Then Gutho goes around, speaks to a couple of the boys and uh, gives them a few instructions and praises them for what they've done in that first half. So really, really good to see and, and positive signs on the whole. And as you said, the Titans were in a huddle, but our boys were upbeat, positive, and you know, BA was then able to focus and zero in on, on uh, certain players and, and that in little um, pockets of, of um,
2: the side. Let's take a quick spin around the NRL, Spiro, because the controversy yeah. and drama wasn't restricted to Parramatta's game against the Gold Coast. On Friday night, there was a cracking game between the Cowboys and the Warriors, but it was marred by the sideline mics picking up a little spat from Marcelo Montoya where he used a slur uh, against mm-hmm. Kyle Felt, I believe, and this was referred directly to the judiciary, and he ended up copying a four-game contrary conduct charge, which he's pled guilty to. Uh, this one, you talk about polarizing. Obviously, when you when you use that sort of language, it's always going to upset people. Uh, of and, and, and this is this is one where a lot of people have strong feelings on both the the use of terminology and also the the suspension. You want to sort of break down how this plays out in the context of some other interrupt suspensions, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, to begin with that. Sort of language and behaviour and, and whatnot—it's um, you know not acceptable at all, and it's not something which the NRL um, want to hear or as fans, you know, especially young kids following the game and uh, listening to those those uh, coverages and calls of the game and picking up that sideline mic—it's dangerous. But um, it's not on, and it's you know inappropriate language and not at all condoning in any way um, what Marcelo Montoya said or did and and his choice of words and his use of language. But what I want to Talk about is the way that the NRL decided to suspend him and and how that all sort of panned out because four weeks is a long time um, for a sir like that. And as I said, not condoned, bad behavior. But when you look at the Storm and their players that were caught in that hotel room allegedly with white powder on the table, a white powder like substance on the table, uh, and there was footage of that which was leaked towards the end of the 2021 NRL season, Cameron Munster. Uh, Chris Lewis and obviously uh, Brandon Smith all copped suspensions and fines from the NRL and from the Melbourne Storm but in terms of their match suspensions they each copped about a week from memory and I've just checked that detail this morning and they all copped a week suspension Jerome Hughes uh, not Jerome Hughes sorry Brandon Smith in the end uh, got to use that one game suspension on the uh, All-Stars the Maori All-Stars game Um, if you remember from a little bit earlier this year but The fact that they get a one-game suspension for allegedly, um, uh, I don't know, consuming illegal substances in a hotel room compared to four weeks for um, a slur, it doesn't really add up. Like, it's not really fair. It's not really equal. If we're going to go hard on slurs, inappropriate behavior, and um, what we stand for as a game and trying to shut that down and send a clear message to players and to fans that that sort of stuff isn't acceptable then the guys that were caught in a room with that white substance allegedly should have copped four weeks as well, should have copped a heavier suspension. And when they only got one week, I was pretty outraged, to be honest. I, I thought that it was a very light penalty mm-hmm. on those players and they should have copped a lot more. And in this situation, fine. Give Marcelo Montoya four weeks. If that's the standard, if that's what's, ex- if that's what um, we want to do and that's how we want to send a message to the, to the public and to the fans and to the media of what the game stands for, then the same should have should have applied when it was those Melbourne Storm players that were caught doing the wrong thing because um, one week is one week and and the financial fine is what it is, but it's not a hard enough um, punishment to send a message to fans and to everyone that that sort of stuff isn't acceptable. So the NRL need to think about what sort of stance they're going to take on this stuff going forward and contrary conduct like this, there should be a a standard and it should be a minimum of this is what you're going to copy if you're caught with illegal substances or using that sort of language. So I don't know what you guys think. I think that, um, fine, give Marcelo four weeks. I've, but make sure that it's equal and it's even and it's fair with other players that are charged for contrary conduct as well.
2: I'm going to pour some oil on the fire here with the outrageous mm. statement that that was a very son- a sensible stance there. I, I agree 100%, Spiro. That, um, mm. it, it's about standards and absolutely, if you're going to say my son Montoya four weeks for country conduct. That is fine. That is that is a good baseline net to now have to hold these players accountable to, but it, it does reek of that. We talk about the the bunker. It's the same thing with the MRC and the NRL itself. That inconsistency that really fires fans up when you go back and you see one week for that sort of conduct outside the game during uh, you know an important time for the game itself too. When those the the, the images came out, it, it's just it is very frustrating to have those. Wildly different uh, sort of uh, st- uh, standards being held across different clubs, different players, different circumstances. When you could easily, uh, you know, be far more consistent.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. I um, yeah, I just I'm frustrated with the inconsistency, and I think yeah, good baseline, but that needs to be the standard going forward. If it's contrary conduct, and and this whole, I think if it falls under that umbrella of a player. That in public, or um, a player that has um, put the game into disrepute, or um, demonstrated a certain act, or done something which the NRL don't stand for, or we don't stand for as a game, then there should be that automatic four weeks. No mm-hmm. questions asked. You know, so it's just the standards we're setting going forward.
2: No, well said, Spiro. And uh, speaking of setting standards in a positive light. Uh, one of the fearsome uh, father-son combinations in the NRL. One of the halfback head coach combinations in the NRL. Uh, just uh, made a big, big announcement uh,
1: today, mate. Huge. The Clearys re-signing and pledging their allegiance to the Panthers until the end of 2027. Huge deal. Huge contract. And the Panthers handled it brilliantly. They had a, a press conference for the media. Um, both Ivan and Nathan signed their uh, contracts, their official NRL contracts, to stay with the club for the next um, couple of years. And yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's a massive thing. What they're building out at Penrith is uh, on the next level. And I think that's something definitely which Parramatta are are close to doing. And I think we're sort of on the same wavelength already. We've got a team that love being at the club, love being around each other, and love playing for each other. And that's what they've got at Penrith. I was out there for the... uh, the Rabbitoh's game, the grand final rematch a couple of weeks back. And just the atmosphere, the vibe. I was actually in the, the dressing, uh, in the, the tunnel when the whole squad walked in off the bus. Jerome Luai leads him in with a speaker, wheeling it along. Everyone else behind him, zoned in, focused. It's brilliant. And it's really, really good to see. And that father son combo of Nathan and Ivan is sort of the key pieces of the puzzle that need to stay there and need to be there going forward to keep all the others on board as well. And it was really impressive to hear. Nathan and Ivan speak and especially Nat um, pledging his allegiance to the club and potentially taking less money to stay at Penrith. It's a real credit to him and Ivan was really stoked with that. And I was, as a fan and as a a fan of the NRL and a a lover of what they're doing out at Penrith, um, it was really impressive to hear because at the end of the day, it's not about money. He loves playing the game, Nathan. He loves doing it out there at Penrith. They love the area. And this deal wasn't about money at all. Um, it was about staying there with his mates and um, holding on to that special connection that they've got. Obviously, they're not going to be able to keep everyone, but they had to keep Nathan. They had to keep Ivan. They've got him there. And you guarantee every week that Nathan's going to show up. He's going to play a good game. And he might not play his best game, but he'll be solid. He'll do what he needs for the team, and he'll help them um, get ahead and and get a win. So huge signing. Uh, Maybe one day down the track, we might see the same with Brad Arthur and Jake Arthur. i I'm not sure, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's huge for the, the the area, huge for the club, and I, I'm sure that'll only motivate them to do better and motivate a few of the other guys to uh, sign on the dotted line and stay at Penrith as well going forward. Yeah, they're
2: the sort of core pieces that keep you competitive for the foreseeable future. You can you know just mm. build around them, find you know your other marquee guys whether you want to you know sign or re-sign and then just have the young kids and the the other you know glue guys around there, but you know, having the, the luxury of a, the two clearies at your club certainly makes you a, a premiership contender uh, unless there's some sort of crisis otherwise. So, yeah, great news for the for Panthers, sure. Panthers, big news for the NRL. Uh, you know, that that's uh, one of the, you know, big jigsaw pieces in the context of some other clubs maybe as well. You know, there's always been talk about the Roosters with the clearies. Um, mm. but, but, you know, them redoubling their commitment to the Panthers means that the, you know, our Western City rival is going to be uh, not just rivals but premiership contenders for the you know, short, medium-term future at the very least.
0: I think there's also a question too of balance, because as a halfback, obviously Nathan Cleary is but still being very well looked after with this contract, and it's maybe a little bit less than he could earn elsewhere. But when you factor in your um, involvement with a particular team, if you're if you're one of these elite players. You can take the attitude of you will go wherever you can maximise your earning potential or you can be part of a successful organisation and be paid very, very well. Maybe not at the maximum, but still be paid very, very well. Because I think the the clever players realise that their individual success is still very much linked to team success. And if you drain a large part of the um, salary cap with your own individual contract in to the extent that it impacts being able to attract other players or to retain certain players. It's, it's not necessarily good for your individual success in the long run. So uh, there's that fine balancing act. And you will see players who will change clubs because they need to maximise and maybe the club that they're at can't pay them what they are worth because of the position that they play in or because they have players that they already are committed to paying um, higher salaries to. But I think in this situation that uh, the Clearies have done well for themselves, but they've also done well for the club and it ensures, as you said, continued success for them.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's massive, very, very uh, exciting for them, and and I think, like you said, um, the fact that he has that ability to add up pulling power, to so then encourage and incentivise other players to stay on, is huge. And um, I think you know you see that sort of maybe with someone like Guffer or and, and someone like Ba, because um, people want to play under Brad Arthur. people want to play with Clint and He's a good captain. He's a good leader. So yeah, it's um, there are some parallels with Parramatta, but. I think that the club have done a good job, Penrith, to, to lock them two up for the next five years and have that all secured and, and locked and loaded so they can really focus on their footy and put contract discussions to one side is is great and they've handled it brilliantly because a lot of the time we see, especially with big name players, that their contract situation plays out in the media. We've seen it with a lot of Parramatta players and you know, with with Gutho, with Mish Moses, um, with Papa Litti. But I think that it was a good move from the Panthers that they they did that. Behind closed doors, sealed it up, and that's it. No one will now have to worry or talk about the contract situation of Ivan or Nathan for the next five years. Perfect. Yeah, good business.
0: And, mate, and mate nothing could be more perfect, I think, than coming into now an Easter weekend where we have uh, five days, count them, five right. days of rugby league action. Uh, you'll no doubt be involved with 2GB in the uh, continuous call team over that right. over that period. Uh we're, right. looking forward, we're looking forward to the coverage on 2GB. We're also looking forward to being able to catch up with you again next week when it comes mm. to uh, what's been happening for Parramatta and what's been happening in the NRL. So thanks again for joining us, mate. Thank you. Thanks,
1: Spirit. guys. I'm, I'll be out at uh, Penrith for um, their match on Friday night, which is going to be exciting. And uh, then Easter Monday at combay How packed out crowd and um, hopefully a win for the blue and gold. But touch wood, you never know. Especially with the pressure building on the Tigers at the moment.
2: Yeah, nothing. you take nothing for granted in the NRL, mate. No way in the world. Any given game, you know, these teams fight so hard. So it's certainly not going into this presuming victory, but they're going to play some good football, you have to think, and hopefully get the two points.
1: 100% guys. Uh, Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk soon.
2: Yeah, catch you next week, mate. All right, mate, let's move on because it's time for the news.
1: News team, assemble!
2: Uh, Some big injury news this week mate The injury report coming out on Tuesday of this week And we finally get some clarity On the Sean Russell situation With the club giving a timeline for his return From that punctured lung And a set of broken ribs And we're looking at around 8 to 10 schedule mate So that's not too bad That's just around the corner It is round 6 this week uh, Which means reinforcements are on the horizon
0: Yes, mate, I was I, I was hoping there was going to be a, a leading where I could have said something like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, that is that is good news. Uh, the other week when I was up there having a, a bit of a look at the captain's run, I did notice that uh, Sean was doing a, a bit of rehab work, rehab training. So obviously he's he's starting to progress quite well it eliminates some of those rumours that some people were starting to circulate that he was out for the season. It, I, I don't know, sometimes I don't know where these rumours come from.
2: Yeah, these rumours certainly seem to have a life of their own and it, it sort of boggles the mind sometimes seeing how they get created and what they sort of bring life to. But tempering that good news of Sean Russell and Mike Sevo, both of whom seem to be on the mend and going to be available for selection in the sort of short to medium term, is obviously the Wonga Blake news, mate. He has got an indefinite timeline on his recovery, which suggests that it's a severe MCL injury, grade three—the highest grade you can give out, outside of any other collateral damage—tend uh, to be four to eight week recovery windows. So we're going to put him in that sort of time frame, assuming that there is no collateral damage. Uh, but the, yeah, that's a big blow to the backline, mate.
0: I think in these scenarios where you're given the given the worst case scenario of um, that the grade three. I'd be working on that six to eight week yep. window. I, 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 that that is water immediately water.
2: where I went to is that, you know, four weeks is obviously best case for a grade three, but you're better off just assuming six to eight weeks.
0: In, in which case that starts to put him coming back in the uh, in the same time frame as when Sivo would be mm-hmm. looking at coming back.
2: Yeah, So have a, a little glut of reinforcements all coming back within a couple of weeks. So it's funny how that stuff works out. Alrighty, righty. Let's move on, boys. Uh, that's uh, all the injury news out of this week's news report. There is another bit of news, though. Uh, Parramatta Eels incepted in 1947, mate. That means that it's 75 years of Parramatta this year. And uh, you ask why 75 years in this particular week? Well, I think you've got the answer to that question.
0: Yeah, on the 12th of April, 1947, the Parramatta Eels took on the Newtown Blue Bags, and I, I think they were pro- probably called the Blue Bags then. I'm not sure whether that was a, a nickname that was brought in a little bit later, but uh, I, because Parramatta weren't the Eels in 1947, um, but uh, and, and Newtown definitely weren't the Jets in 47. whether they were the Blue Bags or not, I'm not sure. But they, uh, they clashed at Cumberland Oval in the very first Eels premiership match, and uh, victory did go to Newtown on that day, but that was basically the first appearance of the Parramatta Reels in the top grade of rugby league football in Australia. And today they were celebrating that with a special 75-year anniversary luncheon at Combank Stadium. It was a big function there today. Unfortunately, my situation meant that uh, I'm stuck here at home rather than attending what would have been a magnificent event to be at. I uh, hope everyone there is having a, a tremendous time. I'm sure there's going to be media put out about the 75 years and about today's uh, function. Um, but uh, yeah, it's these sort of milestones. I mean, we talk about milestones for players, but when you're talking about club milestones, and you know, well, I remember when when I was first following Parramatta in the in the 1960s. Parramatta were uh, one of the two newer clubs in the competition, because Parramatta and Manly uh, being admitted in 1947, mm-hmm. in a, to to take the competition to a a ten team competition, they were the new the new kids on the block then, and um and it took uh, Manly obviously hit the grand final appearances before the Eels, but they didn't win their first premiership until 1970. I am just trying to think when their first premiership was, it was in the 1970s. It wasn't when um, when the Eels faced them in 76. I'm just trying 72. to... 72. Uh, 72, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, they were the first to experience premiership success, but as I said, they were the new kids on the block. Now, when you start to look at the clubs that now exist in the premiership, the Eels are one of the oldest clubs that are there. We have a couple of foundation clubs, but we also have clubs who are now merged entities and whilst they're um, one side or the other of the merger might be able to track their history back to uh, the very foundations of rugby league, you're still talking about there's a lot of clubs in the in the premiership now that are much younger than the Eels and, uh, and Manly.
2: And also, we, we've mentioned this in the past, but there is a tenuous connection to the foundational year of the NRL for the Eels with Cumberland uh, being part of the the interception year before dropping out, so yeah, but the the Eels' history, its rich history, ma- makes them one of the most storied clubs now in the NRL, which is kind of crazy. Like you mentioned, for all the joint ventures and all the changes that have shaken things up, and seventy five years is a is a big milestone for the club, and obviously we're looking forward to hundred years down the track and have a quarter of a century. But yeah, it's a very cool celebration for the club this week,
0: mate. I've I in the last few weeks, I've been noting down some of my favourite moments during the club's history, as well as some of the significant moments in the club's history. I'll, I'll wait to see what the club actually puts out in terms of their own um, chronicling of of the history. And if I've got something to add to it, uh, then that might be something which we cover in a, maybe we can do a special 75 uh, history years. podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the that might be the yeah, way I think, to go because, can expect
2: that might be on the agenda.
0: Yeah, I, obviously there's um, when, when you've got a couple of blokes such as ourselves that aren't aren't too bad at uh, yabbering on about the <laughs> Parramatta <laughs> Eels and football in yeah. general.
1: It's uh, a bit hard
0: to include uh, to go well. Let's talk about seventy five years of the Eels in this little segment. In yeah, yeah. you've got five minutes to
2: talk part. about seventy five years of Parramatta when you guys can yak on for two hours about anything right into the blue and gold.
0: <laughs> so uh, but look the one thing that I will mention right now and 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 I know it might be a little bit of a spoiler and I've to anything I talk about in the future, but for me, I will never forget the image of Ray Higgs on the back of the truck that uh, for the Eels Grand final parade in 1976 and the and the truck got stuck under the the railway line bridge on Church Street at Parramatta with the throngs of people that were there. Couldn't get through any further. They were just heading to only a little bit up the road from there because they were destined for Westfield at Parramatta being presented to to the the people that had gathered within the shopping centre. And... Ray Higgs started the Parramatta Chan, or if someone if someone had started it already, he was certainly leading it on the back of the truck, calling out and getting people to clap along. And um, I've I the goosebumps even even thinking about it right now, let, al- let alone thinking back to a fifteen year old me watching it unfold. Um, and and given that the Eels had never been in a grand final prior to that. And just the level of excitement in the, in, the, in the district, everything in Church Street was just blue and gold. Everything in Parramatta was blue and gold. It was just, it was unbelievable. And throughout my childhood, I just watched every other club and supporters of every other club having these sorts of moments leading up to a grand final week. And, and bear in mind, it wasn't the media coverage that there is now, but it was just something amazing to watch unfold. Um, and I suppose I was still quite a young age to be able to see this. When, when I think back to, you know, people people uh, such as yourself who who are younger that have never seen a win. And, yep,
2: no premierships for me.
0: And, um, you know, I... I didn't see a win that year, but I only had to wait another five years. So I was I was twenty years old when Parramatta celebrated their first premiership, and it it felt like being in the finals and and competing for premierships were was our destiny at that point. Um, I mean, it's we're starting to feel like being in finals is part of our destiny now, mm-hmm. but being in grand finals and, and gaining premierships is such a, uh, you know, it's such a rarity for the club. So, um, yeah, probably by when we win a premiership again and, and, you know, I have great hopes for this year, but when we win the premiership again, it's going to feel almost like the first time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, obviously with that, any sort of, uh, for, what is it? Gen Y? Is that where the the cutoff is for people who haven't seen the premierships now? Uh, or close enough? There's a whole, like, multiple generations that it will be the breakthrough. So, yeah, it's going to be an important day for the club, but equally, you know, so 75 years of, you know, success and tribulations because that's what makes the success so good is the trials. You know, it, yeah. it, it is going through the tough times and pushing through, and that's how you, you end up celebrating so fiercely. Yeah, it's a, a big year for the club, and we're going to look forward to – Having our own little celebrations next week,
0: uh, and mate, I've got to ask you: when um, when it comes about that the Eels win their first premiership in in all those years, are you marking a, a, a spot on the arm for a tattoo? An Maybe
2: tattoo? I, I am inkless, but it is one of the few things in my life I will consider uh, getting a little something something on the body. Uh, you know, whether it's arm or, or the on the back somewhere, uh, but. Yeah, that that is something I would consider inking up for.
0: I'm I'm just picturing, uh, Mitch Clark, inking up big time for that. <laughs> yeah. right. He get oh, one I, across I, I, across, I, across I, the peck for old Mitch, I reckon. No, I I reckon Mitch goes for the neck tattoo. The big, <laughs> you know, the, as as as. Head of secondary at this school, league, just popping, the, up, just half the, it popping
2: up outside the yeah. colos. Every time he interviews someone, yeah. you know, they're like what
0: what is that tattoo? Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah just, just paramedical you know, premiership. Just <laughs> so that maybe you know, if he's if he if he wears the t shirt or the polo on a sports day, that'll be the treat for the students getting a, getting to a see the uh, ink on Mister Clark.
2: Yes, sir. And we'll go into more depth and more fun of that next week. Obviously, there is a lot of memories to talk about in 75 years of Parramatta. Uh, but for now, we've got some games to preview, mate. And starting with the junior reps, Tasha Gale get the week off because they finished top two. So well done to the girls. They're going to go straight through to the grand final qualifier next week.
0: Yes, when I said uh, a big week for a couple of our of our junior rep teams, I, I, I should have prefaced that the, the big week for them was actually getting the week off.
2: Yeah, exactly. Finishing second best in the uh, entire regulation season, the only team they lost to was the Indigenous Roosters Academy, uh, who ended up being by far their closest game of the year for for the Roosters. It was a, a fiercely fought contest in round one, and uh, hopefully those two teams can meet again in the grand final because that's the sort of... Uh, Clash that the, the competition deserves, I think, in the, being the two best teams there. But they've got the week off to refocus and get set for the grand final qualifier. But for Harold Matthews, they kick off tomorrow, 9 30 a.m., out at St. Mary's Stadium. And this one will be broadcast on New South Wales Rugby League TV. So you can catch that stream on Facebook. And uh, we'll, we'll point you to the right resources in, in terms of that tomorrow. Uh, but for the Eels, they look like this at fullback, it's Mohammed Alamadine. You've got Luke Maroon and Richard Panasini back. Someway, somehow. I don't know how he's back, but he's back uh, on the wings. Really good to see Richard there. I thought he was done for the season. Uh, went for that injury against South Sydney. But he's on the flanks. In the centres, you've got Michael Gabriel and Tyrese Le Kenny pushing from back row to centres this week, mate. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, you've got your captain, Blaise Talunghi, at 5'8", with Lorenzo Talataina as part of that unchanged hearts pairing throughout the entire season. Front row, Sam Tuovati, Jacob Bobby John, and Matt Arthur. Very formidable offer even there. In the back row, Shabel Shahadi. He's been outstanding this year got Jordan falliano coming in from the bench because of the low move. And you've got Kobe Herford at lock forward. Very good forward back all around. On the bench, Zadis Tutia, Zadis Tutia, Sorry, Zadis. Uh, Sebastian Piacala. Jordan Uta. Uh, good to see Tyson Sangling back in the mix. He's the 17th man there. And the 18th man is Josiah Funal Uta. Uh, these boys have been playing some great football in the back half of the season, mate. They had the odds stacked against them to make the finals. They needed results to go their way, and they needed a heck take care of every single game in comprehensive fashion. They did They held up there in the bargain. The rest of the ladder took care of it for them on the other side. And now they're playing finals football against the Cronulla Sharks.
0: The one thing that we've noticed with the Harold-Mats team is that even in the latter part of the season, there's room for improvement. And we probably saw them play their best football a fortnight ago. And... In a match out at uh, Kellyville uh, last week, wasn't probably at quite the same standard, but the Raiders team was one of the biggest Harold Matz teams that I'd seen in in some time. They were probably um, not too far off how the the size of the Manly team from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, very big units r- running around for that team and it was a very and, and it was quite a physical contest um so i would say that the the eels it, there were so many key moments in that game but it was a game that was dominated by penalties that Let, let's be honest it was just it was a penalty thon and i i I wrote about that in the official report for the uh, Parramatta Eels website. Also, put it on our uh, on the live blog. The, but I, I I probably was restrained in what I actually put in there in terms of the penalties. <laughs> uh, let's just say at one stage during the second half, and it might have even been when Parramatta were getting were getting a penalty, um, but it was another stoppage, and I, I ended up yelling out, "Can you please let them play some football?" Let both teams play some football because yeah, that's how you know it's
2: bad when both teams are just stuck in the this grind of the whistle. You know, it's fair enough if you need to call a penalty, but at some point, you've got to let them play some football.
0: Well, it honestly felt, and I'm sure I'm not too far off the mark with this. It honestly felt like there was a penalty blown every second set. And I'm sure there was something like fifteen, fourteen, fifteen 14, 15 penalties that were blown in the first half alone. <laughs> And we're talking about thirty minute halves. Yeah, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. It was, it was just genuine stop start. It was hard for either team to get any momentum. Uh, it seemed like there the the pressure was coming from penalties being awarded. Now, I am not going to be so ridiculous and say that there were penalties blown out there that that weren't deserved. However. You almost have to say what I what I would say, however, was that there were there were penalties that maybe didn't need to be blown, like if the if there was, it almost felt like there was some some nitpicking of things that, um, you know, I'm sure every referee can go out there and blow a penalty for something almost in every play. Let's be honest, because. You're dealing with players that aren't perfect. In every play of the ball, there's going to be someone who's offside, somewhere in the line, and it's up to the referee as to whether that player gets themselves involved or not. And involved can mean that their positioning means that the play goes the other way, and they might blow a penalty for that or they might play an advantage. Whatever the case may be, there's there's plenty that can always be pulled up for a, a penalty. Someone holds down a little bit longer than they should or someone's involved in a bit more of a there's there's penalties can be blown left right and centre. I honestly thought it was a game that was spoiled a bit by the penalties. I don't know what either club would have done with regard to that, whether they have put in a um, a report where they felt that that was the case. But um, anyway, it was the main feature of the game. Uh, the Eels got through it, as you said, they're they're. They're in finals football. I think they're playing some of their better football at this time of the year, which is how you want it to be. It would have been far better, obviously, to be... I think they're a team that's capable of playing much better than what they have. But the two teams that beat them were the Roosters and uh, Wests. Where did those teams finish on the ladder? I've got a feeling they finished top two.
2: In the Post Harold Matthews,
0: Harold one
2: match. sec, ladders. Harold Matthews. Sorry, it took me to the draw, not to the ladder. Harold Matthews cup was Magpies' first rooster second. Yeah, there we go. So again, that game will be broadcast on New South Wales Rugby League TV, care of Facebook, at nine thirty a.m. kickoff. So make sure you catch that. There, we'll be doing updates on TCT too. But since you've got the stream, might as well take advantage of it. Uh, but that's not the only action on the weekend. Obviously, uh Gowd not in action because they got the week off. SG Ball, obviously their season's over. So we move on to the jersey flag. They're looking to bounce back. Oh,
0: mate, I, and I've got to say at this stage, what self-respecting Parramatta Reels fan doesn't doesn't appreciate the t- the takes of 140-20 with the live blog. So, yes, the stream's there, <laughs> but... You know, it's, you've got a match report. You've got the companion
2: resource there. You can always jump in and have the conversation too on TCT about the game.
0: Absolutely. You know, absolutely.
2: Hoping for a win from the boys, but, you know, got to keep in mind that it is finals football. It's the six best teams. We've two of them taking the week off in the competition, so there are no easy games. And, yeah, you just got to look forward to a game against a, a club that we've, we've got a little bit of a history against now with the Canal Sharks. We seem to find our way against them in the finals, it feels like.
0: Yeah, they've had, a, they've had a good recent record in their junior development. And they've got a, a host of young players that have gone through to play NRL football and some that are playing elsewhere. Uh, our, our very own Fish, Jamin Salmon, came to us via yep. uh, the Sharks after their, after a finals campaign one year. Uh, he's now uh, running around, uh, coming off the bench for the Penrith Panthers. So, um, yeah, a, a club which is... I think, positioned themselves reasonably well when it comes to junior football.
2: Yes, sir. But yeah, back to the other Good Friday action. It's out of Kellyville Park in the Jersey flag. Eels looking to bounce back from a loss to the Sydney Roosters last week. They're taking on the West Tigers. They are the West Tigers in this grade. I know it gets confusing. Sometimes they're the Magpies, sometimes they're the Tigers. But it is the actual joint venture here in the Jersey flag. Uh, Eels get a... It's both reinforcements and losses here. Uh, they're, They're sort of having to roll off the punches here. But Corey Fenning does come back to captain the team from fullback after a week in the New South Wales Cup. you got Mawala Graham, Talfa, and Turoa Williams on the flanks. Josh tua and Lachlan Blackburn in the centers I uh, got a new look halves pairing. Uh, we've lost Dantore Louis for the week, it looks like. Jabril Kalachi moves from centre to 5-8. Field partner Josh Chappell there uh, as Eels move on without Ethan Sanders, who we presume is injured, given he hasn't played for a little bit now. Uh, in the front row, you've got Jack Colavati and David Hollis at prop four. David Tui is the dummy half. Nick Raffles, one edge. Jaden Skinner moves from bench to starting edge this week. you got Ryan Jones at lock forward. On the bench, Nick Lennars, Riley Lack, Larry Mwaga-Tutia and Brock Parker. Ben Olsen is the 18th man. And Yeah, they're taking on the Tigers this week. If I quickly look at the ladder, take two seconds from cup to flag. Uh, Tigers down the bottom at 10th, but the Eels did slip to knife. So this is actually a fairly evenly matched game. Uh, Eels obviously looking for the big bounce back. Playing at home in Kellyville, yeah, and I won't be able to get out to this one because I do have family over tomorrow, mate. But uh, this one, hopefully, the Eels can go get the biscuits,
0: mate. It's a prime example of when there is an injury toll within the club that it's a flow-on effect to yeah, every
2: grade. It's more than just the one team that gets impacted in senior football. It happens, you know, the New South Wales Cup is also wearing the toll of the first grade injury issue, and it just it just trickles down. It just trickles down, and then you know, coaches have to roll off the punches.
0: That's right. So you've got elevations that happen. And then when you start to factor in injuries to your own team, uh, you're looking at, well, the eel's spine has very much been affected over the last couple of weeks. You had uh, last weekend, um, we had player elevations that took players out of the team. We had injuries. We've got more injuries this week in the in the flag team. Um, if you can get out there to Kellyville Park on Good Friday to lend your support to the team. That would be fantastic. So I'd encourage all Eels fans to get out there, 2 o'clock, Kellyville Park. And uh, what what could be better than an Easter weekend with a bit of footy?
2: Yes, and like you said, five days of NRL, plenty of our Parramatta action too. Hopefully the Eels can get the bickies in this clash. But yeah, you mentioned uh, that those issues in the spine 60s. I mean, Corey Fanning is the only first choice option available this week. And that, that's just one of four positions. That's crazy. Uh, you know, we, we're missing... Cruz, uh, Natili, Schmidt, dummy half. We mentioned Ethan Sanders, Dantonio, Louis. You know, it is. You know, that's no knock on Jabril Kalachi and Josh Chapel and and David Tui, who are going to do solid jobs. And you know, particularly in Jabril's case, he's a player I'm very excited about long term. But it is difficult for the team to just be able to have continuity and consistency when you have that many changes enforced on a week to week basis. So yeah, I think and, Wolf and is if still if a pretty good been, job.
0: If if they hadn't had uh, Jake Arthur returning for New South Wales Cup this week, which has then meant that Jordan Rankin was able to cover the fullback position in New South Wales Cup. Be, so he's that'd be without Corey
2: Fenning again. Yep.
0: That, yep. Yep. So yeah. that, that's exactly right because um, uh, Corey Fenning was playing at uh, for full back for New South Wales Cup last week. So
2: the little wheels within wheels that you know affect selection. So yeah, well, you know, Simon Wolf would doing a good job. We've had a chance to see these boys. They're well drilled. It's just, you know, a little bit of bad luck, a little bit of mis execution here and there. Uh, in the context of the St. George games. And yeah, I'm looking forward to them getting right and getting healthy and making a real charge this year. But we will move on to the New South Wales Cup. We had a, a little bit of a parallel mention to them there. They're going to be the curtain raiser on Easter Monday. They're kicking off at 1.35pm at Combank Stadium, taking on the Western Suburbs Magpies as we uh, bounce between Tigers, Magpies and uh, Joint Venture. Uh, they look like this. You mentioned Jordan Rankin. He'll be captain of the team from Fullback. Matthew Komaloff is on one wing. Max Lehman on the other. Zach Sini and Samuel Loizu are your centres. In the halves, Jake Arthur finally makes his return from the appendectomy. Big boost to the team in the playmaking stakes there. He'll partner Jack A. Williams, who is the halfback. In the front row, you've got Kai Rodwell and Riramu Gregg as the props. Brendan Hans, the dummy half. Ellie Ozgaham and Dan Kira are your edge forwards. Bryce Cartwright, the lock forward. On the bench, Luca Moretti, Keaton Walkington, Meads, Jaden Yates and Tevita Tamuapenu. We are missing Peter Tateo. We're not sure if it's injury or suspension, but that is a blow to the team. Uh, and also, obviously, Mitch Rain also out of the action. Hayes Perham also out of the action uh, due to NRL honors. So, you talk about the with the punches. Ryan Carr missing a couple of his core players there, and Peram and Rain, but going to make do against the Western Suburbs Magpies, who are also winless, much like their NRL counterparts.
0: And you you touched on this before about the different uh, entities that are taking the field for the West Tigers. So you've got the team, the, the club represented by West Magpies in this grade. And I don't want to jump on and make this sound like a, a West bashing because I've, I I do respect every opponent that the Eels have. But just as a, as a club, I don't understand why one side of your entity would be the team that carries the the whose jersey you're carrying in the New South Wales Cup level, in basically the reserve grade level, the pathways. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I understand that the West side, other side of the joint venture, that's providing the money, and I understand that that's administered by the New South Wales Cup uh, by the New South Wales Rugby League. But also, as you mentioned before, it's the West Tigers in the jersey flag. It, and it,
2: it's a, a lack of cohesive identity, isn't it? And it's probably speaks towards uh, more widespread macro issues at the club.
0: Yeah. And so, let, I mean, you look at it through junior representatives. Now the junior reps, they exist as two separate entities, right? You've got Balmain and you've got West Tigers with everything except, I think, Tasha Gale. Remembering I think in Tasha Gale they compete as West Tigers. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think, think in the right about the that, mats yeah. and the mats and the ball compete as both uh, Balmain and as Western Cor- suburbs. Correct,
2: they're, they're different entities, and you do have the West Tigers in the Tasha Gale. Yes,
0: yeah. Now, I to an extent, I can I can understand that because you're talking about two foundation clubs there and they've got separate districts that they look after in terms of their um, juniors, that sort of thing. Um, but um, how much of that is in name alone now with with that? And then let, let's just picture this for their pathway. They start off as two separate entities, Balmain and Western Suburbs. They then hit FLEG, where they become the merged entity for Jersey FLEG. Then when they go to New South Wales Cup level, they play for the Western Suburbs Magpies. Then if they go from uh, from New South Wales Cup and get an NRL call-up, they're back to West Tigers. They're flipping and flopping all over the place and uh, and it's not like our club hasn't been down this path before. No, because
2: we've, we've spoken about this, about having uh, a fractured identity in the pathways and how it can hurt development. You know, and it's like a, a bad episode of whose line is it anyway where the names that matter and the, and the points are made up right like it's just uh yeah.
0: well you know how you know how strongly I campaigned for Parramatta to end the joint venture partnership with the Wenty magpies at the New South Wales Cup and that was
2: never as a slight on the Wenty
0: magpies no, no it was it was not meant as any sort of slight at all on on the Wenty Magpies who are a, a strong local club and a, have, have a strong identity. But the issue was basically I, I saw, saw no point in players having having any sort of identification with the Parramatta Reels in their pathways where they wear the blue and gold to every level except when they got to the level when that was immediately the door, before, yeah. below NRL yeah. and all of a sudden they went from a blue and gold jersey to a black and white jersey and played at a different venue and then they're expected to somehow feel as if they were in the same pathway when uh, and be ready to jump back to the blue and gold when they got to NRL level. It just made no sense. Uh, The club ended up, of course, um, going on its own then at a New South Wales Cup level, which I was very, very pleased about. But I just don't – I don't see this ending at the West Tigers. And I know they're our opponents, not our concern in – in that regard, but it's just something when when there's so much debate that's going on at the moment about what's happening with the West Tigers and and look, they might get a win in that grade, they might get a win in both grades. Well, the, one, you talk about, you're so talk about that, that. There's,
2: there's big reinforcements for the Cup this week because they've dropped a, a swath of first graders, uh, Jacob Little, Ken Mamalo, Oliver Gildart and Tyrone Peachy, they're all playing New South Wales Cup this week. So they've got a yep. lot of experience and strike power coming into this grade, but it doesn't help them in the long term.
0: No, it, it doesn't. So, um, and it, it just, from the outside looking in, you you look at that and you go, where's the identity?
2: Yeah. And that, that's you the know? big thing is identity is everything when it comes to sports, uh, you know, and it's part of the reason why Melbourne and the Roosters and now the Panthers and also the Parramatta Reels uh, are so consistent in their success and their, their philosophies is because they have an identity, a core identity that players know. Represents them and their team and their club, and they they work towards it.
0: That's right, and and unfortunately with the with the West Tigers, how many homes have they got? Yeah, yeah, well, def- they play they play out of out of Leichhardt Oval. They play out of Campbelltown. Um, Campbelltown. They they play out of Combank. They train at Concord, and um, they they've got their their biggest junior base is is. Basically, down in that Campbelltown and and Camden areas, where mm-hmm. uh, you know, the deep into southwestern Sydney, but somehow their training base is up at Concord, and where do they say their spiritual heart is, Lycon Oval? Yeah, it, it
2: is very confusing oh, stuff. I mean, then.
0: like, like if I'm seriously, if I'm a if I'm a West Tigers supporter, and let's say I came in as, as a a dyed-in-the-wool West Magpies supporter. And and I took up following the West Tigers because that was as good as it was going to be for my club to continue to exist. So I embraced the West Tigers because it still carried the West's name. It still carried some tradition. But then I look at all the club talk around playing at Leichhardt and I go, there is a distinct difference between what they talk about the passion of Leichhardt Oval compared to the any passion that they well they don't they don't talk about anything special about playing down at Campbelltown no, do they no. Can you I, I can't think of when to, they, they don't call that the ninth wonder of the world they call likehart the eighth wonder of the world It's got me beat why they call it that because to me it's a ground that's that's trapped in dilapidation or or um maybe dilapidations a, a, a harsh word to use but it's certainly trapped in the past it's it's trapped in antiquated uh, facilities yes exactly and um you know you've as i said uh, there's so many things that we could talk about that, you know where we we could literally dedicate a podcast episode on behalf of the west tigers about things that, from the outside looking in that we can see that's wrong but i think it's encapsulated in the in their New South Wales Cup identity of being the, the Western Suburbs Magpies. So uh, I know we've taken a big, long diversion, and I apologise for that, especially on a day where I think I said to you, mate, I don't think I'm going to be talking too much today. <laughs> we
2: cleared out the pipes. It's good. It's good.
0: I'm clearing out the pipes. Yeah, that's right. So uh, anyway, um, let's, look, let's just say, as you've just said then, the the side their their side might be winless, but just based on the NRL experience alone that they've dropped back in, and and based on the Parramatta, um Parramatta take out experience and putting it up into NRL due to the injury crisis that's in at the moment, that um it makes it I think a, a fairly tight contest if if not giving Wests a chance to to maybe get the win there,
2: yeah, and we we know the the he was capable of outstanding football in this grade. We've seen plenty of it this year already, uh, but th- it's been a very heavy toll on them. They've had to absorb a lot of pressure from the NRL team and the, their requirements, given their crisis in the back line, And you know they've lost a couple of core players again this week. Uh, when you look at your fullback and your, your starting dummy half in Rain and Perham. you know that they are very significant losses to your lineup. Obviously, the return of Jake Arthur helps somewhat, uh, but yeah, they're doing it tough and that's all they can do is just push through. So hopefully Ryan Carr and his boys can get up for the game, kicking off at 1:35 PM, pm at Combank on Monday. Um, it'd be a good curtain raise to get to if you have a chance to get early, get out early to the game. Let's move on to the main event, mate. This is one that we always have circled on the calendar. It's the Easter Monday clash against the West Tigers. Uh, we've We've had it be a little bit disrupted during the COVID times, but it is good to have it back scheduled or on schedule, kicking off at 4 o'clock p.m. on Monday. It's Parramatta's home game this year. It's that, that part of the cycle, which is good. They're taking on a West Tigers outfit that are on 5 There's a lot of drama, a lot of media around all their struggles. You know that outside of anything else there, they've got this game circled on their calendar. Uh, they always do. They always want to get up for it. They love to play the Parramatta Eels. even if the Eels do have a good record against them in recent times. And you know that this is going to be their their outlet for all that media pressure that's been put on them in the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I, I mentioned before I don't take any opponent for granted. I certainly don't take the West Tigers for granted. What I do know is that they're going to come out absolutely um, like, like they tend to do with most games where there's a lot of intensity, a lot of energy in that first 20 minutes or so of the game. If they get the ascendancy then, they become very hard to beat in any match. If you weather that initial burst and the Tigers don't do so well, let's say they even fall behind on the scoreboard, that's when there's the chance of getting a blowout score against them. Now, we've seen both sort of eventuate against the West Tigers in recent years where we've had... The close encounters, we've also had the blowout scores where we've got on top of them early and they just haven't been able to go with the team. So um I'm hoping that it's going to be a, a, a nice big blowout score to the Eels, but I I actually don't think it will eventuate that way this week. I think.
2: Yeah, I could definitely see it being a grittier contest given now uh horror injury time on the back line. But taking on the West Tigers, this is how it looked like this week. We mentioned that sweeping changes that um, Maguire's in force this week. This leads to them looking like this with Dane Laurie at fullback. They've got David Nofaluma and Stafford Toa on the wings. James Robertson, Luke Garner, who was a back rower primarily, but he'll be playing in the centres this week. In the halves, you've got the Luke Brooks, Jackson Hastings pairing as Hastings returns from suspension. The caveat to that is that there's been a bit of press about how Brooks is now going to be the uh, distant secondary option. Hastings is going to be calling all the shots and the game will be running through his hands and his boot. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes the Tigers. In the front row, it's James Tamau, Jake Simpkin, and Zane Musgrove, sorry. You've got Kelma Tulangi, Luciano Leilua, and Joe Ofengahi at lock forward. A little bit of uh, media today about Leilua as well. 60s Cowboys are pushing or pressing for an early release. So I don't know if that's going to give a little bit of uh, extra flavor to this game for the him. On the bench, you've got Jock Madden, Alex Twelve, Thomas McKaylee, and Alex Saifaf. Extended roster, it's a lot of the... Uh, boys have got dropped, Tyron Peachy, Jacob Little, Oliver Gildart, Ken Mamalo, all four of them playing cup, or at least named, then you've got uh, Tuka Mihia, Simpkins, Junior Tupo and Austin Diaz, yeah I mean you look at this this lineup. I mean I know in the past Luciano Lewis put some good games against us, uh, he, he can be a bit of a menace near a try line, but it, it is not a team that screams quality, they, you can see why they're struggling, but you can also understand why they're going to be trying to get up for this game against us, because they do love
0: playing the Eels. Yeah, and as I said, I, for me, it's it's not the individuals that concern me in terms of what they're capable of doing. It's it's just that first twenty minutes, yes. and whether they whether they are able to um, create some sort of resistance or a bit of a challenge, get their backs up. Um, we all know that teams. At the lower end of the table, are capable of rising for a game or two. That's 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 nothing new about the NRL. Is that's why you get the odd upset because a a, a team on their best that's down the bottom of the table is capable of beating a team at the top of the table who are not at their best. So um, the the days of being able to, I suppose, turn up not play well and still expect that you're going to win a few and far between and uh, I think when the the West in the West Tigers case there's been a lot said about these positional changes that have happened with around um, around Brooks and um, I look at it this way if the bloke is playing on the same side of the field and if he ends up having the same number of touches, or close to the same number of touches. How much change has actually been uh, yeah, thought
2: about? I'll, I'll say it when I believe it. Uh, at what point do you... I mean, it's amazing that they haven't just bit the bullet and at least tried dropping him and playing Jock Madden there instead. But, uh, yeah, it's you know the definition of insanity and all those sort of things. For the Eels, though, there is a change this week. We'll start with the captain, Quinton Gufferson, at fullback, on the wing. And there was a lot of speculation from us and, and the different permutations that were available to Brad Arthur. We sort of got it half right. We talked about putting a centre onto the wing and Tom Opachick and perhaps replacing him there. But instead, it's Will Penasini who lands on that tricky left wing spot. He'll be partnering Murata, sorry Tom Opachick down that side with Murata Niakore coming into the centres on the right edge where he'll partner Bailey Simonson on the flank. In the halves, it's unchanged. Thankfully, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, the outstanding combination there. In the front row, we do have a change. Junior Polo sitting out a week for that suspension. Careless high contact. Meaning that Oregon Kafusi comes into the starting team. He'll partner Reagan Campbell-Gillard. Reed Money the dummy half. Sean Lane named to start. Obviously it was a scratch last two weeks. Am I right in saying this? Uh, yes, two weeks. So he's been trying to uh, navigate a tricky hamstring injury, but he has been or has been named to start. He'll partner Zai Papali'i on the edges. Nathan Brown the tireless lock forward on the bench. Macaesi Makatoa, Ryan Madison, who's an outstanding. Nick Spiro was talking about that too. He's been very good making his uh, second cap for the club provisionally now as Hayes Perham as the utility and Mitch Rain the dummy half option to give a little bit of cover for Reed Marnie extended roster, Bryce Cartwright, Jake Arthur, Wirimu Greg Kai Rodwell, Samuel Loizu, Ellie Elskeham and Zach Sini. So I mean, if there are going to be some mind games and Brad Arthur is not usually a coach for them, there are some options in that extended roster there to give him the ability to bring a Bryce Cartwright in to bring, a Samuel Loizu in two in the back line if he wants, and, and even Zach Senior, a guy who's not inside the top 30, but obviously being cleared to be part of the team Teamless Tuesday list.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I, I can't offer any insights. So obviously, I'm in isolation with COVID. Not that if I'd seen anything up there that I would be saying anything anyway. Um, but so I, I, I actually feel quite comfortable in in making speculations whereas in under normal circumstances if i'm there and i'm watching training if i'm making speculations and my speculations are correct then i'm giving away something that i've witnessed i've witnessed nothing nobody's talked to me about anything that's going on at eels at eels training about any any sort of positional switches or things like that i just look at the team and i go i really don't feel that Will Pennicini will play on the wing? I I just I don't know. It just it doesn't feel like like that will be what will eventuate. Um, I just I just see Will as an out now center.
2: Yeah, he's so good. Um, he's so good at the role uh, on both sides of the ball. That's the other thing too is that he is defensively as astute as you're going to get in the young center, and you don't really want to comp- compromise the integrity of that right edge by making that double change. And we know that Murata is a very good defensive center too, uh, but. I don't know. It, it it does feel like a little bit of smoke and dagger, you know, or uh, you know, some sort of cloak and dagger combination here. I don't know. It's funny because Brad Arthur is not a big. No, know,
0: that's that's where that's where it's a it's a little bit confusing around this as well, and um, and then of course you you have the situation where we have Hayes Perham being selected on the bench, and. There's been people that have called out to have um, backline options on the bench, and it makes it harder when you also include a dummy half option on the bench as well because then you've only got uh, two forwards there ready for interchange. Uh, Specialist dummy half, they're only going to only likely to come on and and give a bit of a break for Reed Marnie, a backline. Uh, interchange person who's probably only going to get a run unless uh, with someone being injured in the back line Um, and where we've already got a forward playing in the backs. Brad Arthur's obviously thought, well, we can't afford for an injury to happen to a back line player and then suddenly throw out another forward out in the back line when we've already got a forward filling in. It's... it's... it's it, that's, I mean, I mean that,
2: that's we, we the, know it's a mess, and at some point, you know, you just you have to make an omelet out of all the broken eggs, and
0: that's what well, that's it. That's, that's it, what are exactly. trying to do. So I, I, I'm just, but I'm not confused by the selections. I'm just thinking, I don't know. I just, I just feel as if there's going to be something different that'll that'll happen. I mean, there's, op- got there's no options available because
2: be. you know you you can bring you know, assuming that they're trained this way, Hayes Perrin could come onto the wing pushing Pennasini to center and then Murata back to the bench. Likewise you could bring one of the, the guys from the extended roster in and do exactly the same and then uh you know someone has to drop off the bench in that in that uh permutation. But yeah, the the way this team is structured, it, it is very difficult to see Will Penicini start starting this game at wing just because it's at the point where you're weakening a strength, the strength and a weakness too much.
0: And yeah. I, yeah. I don't
2: know. I mean, like you said, you're dealing with an ugly situation one way or another, and I do not uh, you know, envy Brad for having to try and figure this out. But uh, you know, you've got to get it for a couple more weeks, and you get Russell and then Sivo and then Wanga, in, in like a sort of rapid succession back knock on wood. But, jeez, it makes things tough in the short term.
0: Yeah, so um, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, in one respect... And, and don't get me wrong, because I, you know, West Tigers have got a couple of players out through injury themselves, but they're getting the Parramatta Eels at, at probably our most disrupted of the season. Yep. Um, and you'd still say that if if we have serious ambitions about this year, that a home match against the West Tigers where the Eels are celebrating 75 years, that they should be getting the job done. But yeah, it's a, it's the the back line situation's getting getting beyond a joke in terms of how how many players that we lose and that we that have worn the number two jersey.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's punched through about you know three or four different ways of being so sad it's funny kind of uh, stuff. I, I I don't even know what the coaches will be talking about in their meetings. Like how do we even approach Team West Tuesdays and roster construction at the moment? It's an absolute uh, you know, insane joke. But here we are, and you know, we're well, pushing. Do
0: you, do you want to roll the dice and have Will Pennisi wear number two?
2: Well, that, that, that's <laughs> the other question too. Is like, how much do you buy into jersey curses? Because good lord, <laughs> the number two has been absolutely a uh, uh, snake bit this year. Um, but yes, maybe you need to retire uh, number two and then put another jersey out there this year.
0: Now, just before we finish up on this, but I, I, I just. Had a you know, I was thinking more about that. Um, that Luke Brooks scenario and, um, and, and playing alongside Hastings is that, um, you've got I, I'm just wondering how much of it could be a psychological ploy by Maguire. He's he's looking at making change without really making change, but maybe trying mm-hmm. to get the players to can to trying to convince the players that he's made, um,
2: that is definitely what it read, reads difference. as. Yeah, that is definitely yeah. what it reads as: is you are trying to make change without facilitating actual change. So,
0: yeah, yeah. So, and and maybe that the the players buy into it that you know we're we're mixing things up, we're changing it around. It's a fresher approach, blah, blah 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 blah, and that it works in their mind. But the reality is that you could literally be planning to play them in the same way as as what you would have in any other week. Um, because it's they they're, they're going to be trotting out the the personnel in the halves that you expected them to trot out. So um, yeah, it's uh, what's let's let's get into our tips, mate. Because we've we've had plenty to <laughs> yeah, say for a couple yeah. of blokes that, that weren't going to talk quite as much today. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, you know, coming off, uh, I'm on a bit of a good run. I didn't quite get first try score right, but Gufferson did score the second try of the game for the Eels also had an outstanding all-round game, was close to best on field, so I was in the vicinity right there. Um, I, I mean, it's still all downhill from here for me, right? Like, you, you can't go much better than I've gone the last couple of weeks. Oh, it, tipping the try becomes that much more convoluted with given that there's a bit of uncertainty about the back line. So maybe we, I steer away from the backs, or at least the outside backs, and look closer to the ruck. Maybe it's a... Mm, Isaiah Papali'i day Up against his future employer Maybe he'll get the first strike score
0: For the Eels I'm going to hearken back to 2019 And go Mitch Moses
2: And I mean future employer Past employer Those little connections Always find a way to come to the forefront In these sort of clashes Mitch on an absolute tear this year Playing the best football of his Still uh, not young career But you know in his prime right now um, Definitely a good option there Uh I mean, he, he goes down as my most influential player for the game. I think he's going to have an absolute huge impact on this contest, from you know just steering traffic, setting up tries, kicking goals. Um,
0: you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to uh, Reed Marnie for MVP this week. Well, that's think, what that's
2: what the Daniels writing about on TCT this week, he's talking about Reed's slow statistical start to the season and how he thinks it's going to start picking up starting with Easter Monday. So that's a good shout there. Uh, overall margin you sort of spoke towards it being a closer affair Um, eels look like they're going to run the titans off the park at one point last week but then we saw there is a way with some games where officials sort of you know make it a bit closer than it needs to be wouldn't be surprised if that's a factor at play this week i could uh, definitely see it being a a relatively uh, tighter affair compared to our game against the Dragons. so i'll go for eels 24 west's 14
0: it's interesting. I'm also going for a 10-point margin. I'm going to go Eels 28, Tigers 18. And the only the only thing that's in my mind there is, um, even though I think that's going to be a 10-point margin, there's part of me that's thinking, have the Tigers got 18 points in them? And I, you know what? I just think the game's going to open up enough for them to... Um, to get those 18 points but I don't think defensively they're strong enough to hold to hold us out so yeah, I think if we'll the Parramatta are stick, stick
2: to their systems they should score the points like that that yes. is you know it'd be on Parramatta screwing up more so than West you know being stout defensively so yeah I think we're, we're sort of in the ballpark of each other's margins there interesting to see different try scorers different uh, same MVP though so Looking for... Oh, no, different MVP, sorry. You went Reed I went Moses, but you went Moses' first try scorer. There we go. Yes, I remember yes, yeah uh, But yeah, it, we're both tipping the eels win. They should take care of business. You know that there are no guaranteed wins uh, coming into these games, but Parramatta building nicely, dealing with a lot of adversity the right way, rolling up their sleeves, trusting their systems, trusting the bloke next to each other. And, they, you know, we saw that with the Titans. We saw that with the, the Dragons too, who put up a very stoic showing in the first half. So Parramatta... Very calm and composed. You saw that press conference with Brad and and Guffo. They know who they are. You talk about that identity, 60s. That's why it's so important, knowing who you are, trusting who you are on an individual level, on a team level, on a club level. And that's why I think the Parramatta Eels get a solid win on Easter
0: Monday. Sounds good, mate. And uh, we'll be catching your call tomorrow of the Harold Matts qualifying final or elimination uh, final match. And uh, we'll be uh, also people can get to Parramatta Leagues Club on Monday because there will be the um, post match podcast with special guest Brett Kenny. Uh, I'll probably be there watching, but I've asked. the 18th I'm man. This, yeah, I, we're, we're calling up the 18th man. We've got um, Clint who's stepping in for me um, because I, I am due out of isolation. To be able to get there, but I'm not going to plan around doing something that. Let's face it. If I'm if I'm feeling a little bit off, I'm not going to go out into into the public and and uh, and and risk anything around COVID with that. So I want yeah. to be 100 percent well. We talk about doing a
2: civic and, duty. That's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so uh, um, I, I plan on being there for the uh, for watching the podcast, but we'll have Forty and Clint covering post match. Uh, chatting with uh, Brett Kenny, so anyone that's like that's uh, a huge Brett Kenny fan, uh, or people that want to celebrate the the win, we know it'll be a win. Uh, back at Jack's Bar and Grill in Parramatta Leagues after the game, probably kicking off about forty minutes after the after final siren on uh, Monday. Please be out there, pop over, say say good day to forty and clint uh i'll be i'll be lurking around at a at a table nearby so maybe <laughs> pop over and say good day to me um and certainly go and get your photo taken maybe a signature or two from uh the great yeah, one of me. the all-time
2: greats as always thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen we did have a good prattle on today despite the uh physical handicap so i suppose that's a almost a sarcastic pat on the back for us mate we are you know, managing to pull out the big minutes despite all the uh, issues. But yeah, we'll catch you guys in the uh, post-match instant reaction and we'll catch you guys for maybe a special episode next week celebrating 75 years of Parramatta. Stay safe, guys.
0: See you later.